So how is everyone doing today? I am so surprised that some of you came back after last week. <laughs> um, so how should we do this? Let's read the text first, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into things. Matthew chapter 13, open up there, if you would, and we're going to finish uh, the 13th chapter of this first gospel book. Okay, so uh, Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 53, and it came about that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there, and coming to his hometown, he began uh, teaching them in their synagogues so that they so that they answered their phones and became astounded and said, where did this man get this wisdom and uh, these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son and is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where did, uh, where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor uh, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So you can already tell it's, it's going to be a much easier evening uh, this week than last week. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this uh, you know, Thursday that we can share with one another, Lord, and we can get together with, uh, with each other and get into your word and just be open to what you would have to say to us through it. Well, it's always a pleasure to do just that, or to sit at your feet and to hear you speak. And I just pray that, uh, that anything that is standing in the way of that uh, would just vanish in your presence. Lord, that we would just connect to you and, and hear you, be ministered to by you, and leave this place walking closely with you and deeply in love with you. And for that, Lord, I, I do thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, tonight we're going to finish this chapter, and it's been uh, somewhat of a, of a roller coaster these past three weeks, right? The first passage that we did, beginning the 13th chapter, uh, was fun and interesting. At least it felt that way to me. Maybe you're like, this is, it's been torture from the beginning, Michael. Don't kid yourself. This has been brutal. But, uh, but you know, the first one seemed fun and interesting. The second one seemed kind of heavy and daunting. And this one's going to be, I don't know, somewhere right in the middle of those two. Um, but, uh, and, and, I, and I even wrote to, to remind you, you know, uh, in, in my notes that, that you can all rest assured because Sam will be back in the saddle next Thursday. And then he sent me a text message and was like, hey, you want to do next Thursday? I was like, okay. <laughs> we'll, see, uh, we'll see who keeps on coming. Um, but in the meantime, we get to finish what we began here. And Jesus returns to his hometown, you know, Nazareth, and 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 you can see that that Jesus is is certainly no hometown hero from what we read here today that on the on the sign stating Nazareth's uh, city population it didn't say you know Nazareth uh, home of Jesus the Messiah right he it wasn't that type of reception there was no warm welcome and, and it seems uh certainly that their level of familiarity uh with Jesus led them to see him and hear him, to grow very accustomed to him, and to absolutely not be affected by, by, by him. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about uh, this evening. Um, and we're, we're going to recap a little bit back in verse 53 to, uh, to throw ourselves into a running head start. Uh, so when Jesus finished these parables, all these parables that we talked about, uh, the great weight and magnitude of each and every one of them, the parable of the sower, and, and then the, the kingdom parables uh, about the, the corruption of the church, and then uh, the, the wonderful parables portraying us as the hidden treasure uh, that was worth the, the, the incredible cost of the cross. Uh, so when he had finished these parables, he moved on. And he went back to his hometown. 
Um, and you might expect that this is where the story, you know, slides into a warm, cozy reception. And, oh, well, he's just finished saying all these amazing things. And now he's at his hometown and he begins to teach all these people that were, I'm sure, without a doubt, very familiar with them back in their synagogue. And they are amazed. And they said, uh, where did this guy get his wisdom and these miraculous powers? And his words were exceptional. His works were, were mesmerizing, but he, uh, in their estimation, was not. And it's, it's such a strange thing to consider, right, that, that none of these things uh, change the fact that he was still to them just Jesus. And we all know Jesus. Jesus is the carpenter's kid, right? And I think his mother's name is Mary. And they grew up down the block, right? And, uh, and, and he, he said all these special things but when you boil it down to its most base elements, he's still not a very special person. He's just Jesus. And he's done all these amazing things, but after all, it doesn't change the fact that I'm not impressed by them because it's just Jesus, right? And, and, it's, and it's a dreadful and dangerous mistake. And it's one that I think that we're all uh, in danger of making in, in some regard. Now, back, uh, back a long time ago, and it seems like, even though I'm a young man, it seems like another life, I was in a punk band. And, uh, and we all had a, a diversity of dress, you know, in our, our, the, the way that we, we uh, chose to attire ourselves. And, and I, I, I was, as I am now to a lesser degree, the, the, uh, the, the nerdy one of the group. And, you know, as about as well-dressed as you can be for shopping at nothing but thrift stores. And, uh, and, you know, so that's that, I was that guy. I was the bass player, and I was the thrift store nerd, and I wore, like, dress shirts and ties. And, and Squeaks, our drummer, he was the, the trashy punker, and he wore the just tattered clothes, and he had, you know, tall Liberty spikes and all this. And then, and then Eric, he was our pop-punk surfer kind of guy. He had this highlighted Rod Stewart type of hair, and it was just a bizarre individual, him, and, and with flip-flops and all. And, and we, we came to one of our shows. We were playing at a church, and, and well, I almost just said the name of it. That would be dreadful. Um, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and we were playing at this church, and the pastor comes out to greet us, and all three of us are walking up, and Eric is leading the way. And he walks right past Eric, and he walks up to me, and he, he shakes my hand, and he says, You must be Eric. I've heard a lot about you. I'm excited to have you here. Uh, you know, and you're going to be the one that speaks, and I've just heard that, that your messages are absolutely incredible. And I said, I'm not Eric, I'm just the bass player, and, and I don't preach. And, and he turned around, and, and he kind of looked at the other two, and I could tell he was really hoping that it wasn't Squeaks. But, <laughs> but there was still just a, a look of dread and dismay upon his face when, when Eric extended his hand and said, you know, it's, it's, it's me. And, and, and you know, the, the look of, of a man that just... You, you can read his, his thoughts as clear as if they were scribbled upon his forehead. You know, just the, the, the clear idea of, well, who, who, what, what could this, you know, casual little fellow possibly have to say about God, you know? And, and what substance could he ever bring to a sermon? But, I mean, greatly mistaken. You've heard Eric preach. He's taught here on a Thursday night. I mean, the man is anointed. I don't know how you could fit that, fit that much spirit in such a tiny little human. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it's such a mistake. But, but, uh, but we often fall into the same mistake. And let's all be, be honest with ourselves. He's loving the joke. He's like, I know Eric. You know? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but, you know, let's all be honest to one degree or another. We're all prejudice, all right? And we all make these snap decisions and judgments on people and what they're capable of and, and what they bring to the table as far as spiritual substance. You know, and, and I remember the first time I ever spoke at Genesis, uh, it, was, it was on a Sunday morning, and Sam invited me out to share, and, 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 I, uh, and, and I came in, and, and I, wasn't, I wasn't a member there, and it's weird saying a member because I don't really have members, do we? You know, it's like... I was talking to you about that when I first got here. Membership. We don't really do that. But, uh, you know, it was before I started coming here. And I came, and I'd, I'd never been here. And I, and I talked for a little while, and then I, I went home, and I was having... Uh, we were all getting together for lunch with my parents. And my mom asked me how it went. 
And I said, wow, I mean, just what a group of fantastic people, the people at Genesis. I mean, just every single one of them, they're amazing people, just so great and grand, and it seems like just the best place to, to get together and worship Jesus together. You know, it's like, it just seems, it's just, I, I just got that sense about it. And, you know, and, and my mom says, oh, okay, but... uh what I really want to know is, and, and the question she asked me and the way that she phrased it wasn't so much like a question, more like a, a highly critical statement, is did they really take you seriously with that hair? And, and, and I was like, well, well, I, I hope they did, but now, but now I know with some amount of certainty that you don't, you know? <laughs> But that's uh, that's that's the way it is, you know. And and she would look at me, and the pastor would look at Eric, and and uh, they would come to a reasonable conclusion based on our appearance that we don't know thing one about God, right? And that is uh, a reasonable conclusion, but it's not a very spiritual conclusion, right? And I have this idea that that God is uh, somewhere up in heaven, just shaking his head and saying, you know, you know, some things never change. And, and I, thought I, I thought I was very clear about this. And haven't I already been over this? You know, and in, and in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, and you can write it down, and it's a, it's a verse that I'm sure you're, you're all familiar with already. 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, you know, don't consider his height or his appearance. I've rejected him. Right? The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. Lord looks at the heart. On that day, it was David's brother's. Right, and they were they were a lot of fine fellows, David's brothers. They were tall, strapping, strong young men, or men. And 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 my mother would say, "No, that's how you want to look if you want to be taken seriously as a man of God." Right, and the pastor would 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 you know wag a finger and say, "Oh no, there's a there's a formidable fellow for Jesus, you know, and this is the one that you should pick, you know, and all this." And and the Nazar Nazarites would say, "Hey, well, well, uh, well, you know, I mean, uh, you say all the right stuff, you do some pretty neat stuff, and I would be very impressed by you if I didn't already know you and maybe wasn't looking at you." Um, and, and you're nothing more than, and you could fill in the blank, right? The fact of the matter is that when it comes to the weighty matters of life, we all have a million excuses at our disposal, at our disposal to easily dismiss anyone, uh, that would, that would offer us wise counsel or spiritual direction. They're easy excuses, and often they're based on our prejudices. And we use them without giving a second thought, right? Something uh, spoken, and the, the spirit pricks our heart, and, and uh, listening to a brother or sister or, or you know, whoever, and, and they're offering us this kind of wise counsel, and we think, well, I don't have to listen to you because you're too young, or you're too old, or you don't know how things are today. You, you don't go to high school today and you don't understand what kids go through today. Yeah, but I was a kid once, and I, and I think it was pretty tough even for me. And I think there's some things that I can share with you. And I don't have to listen to you because you have a blue collar job and I have a white collar problem. Or I have a blue collar problem and you have a white collar job. I don't have to listen to you because you have the wrong type of job and you don't understand my type of job. I don't have to listen to you because you're in between jobs. You say, well, I don't have to listen to you because uh, you're not married. And boy, I got that a lot. Now, I don't have to listen to you because you don't have children. I get that one still. (laughs) I don't have to listen to you because you're not single today. And being single today is dramatically different than it was being single in your day. And, and you can't give parenting advice because you don't have any kids, or you only have one kid, or you have too many kids, or you have a bad kid, you know? And, 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 uh, and I'm not going to listen to you because you're a surfer with highlighted hair. I'm not going to listen to you because you have a pompadour. And I'm definitely not going to listen to you because... Uh, because you're just Jesus from down the block. And what wisdom could you possibly have? I know you. 
I grew up alongside of you. And it's easy to dismiss any individual quite quickly. You can find a reason to if you want to, right? Or you could look past the superficial to see what the Spirit of God might be ministering to your heart through that person. It's amazing that so many that follow Jesus today scrutinize the qualifications of his representatives uh, in precisely the same way as these Nazarenes did. It's, it's kind of frightening to me to think that I might be in their company and counted in this category, right? Here was Jesus, and he wasn't an academic, right? Yet he possessed all wisdom. So ought we not to listen to him? Right? Here was a man, uh, and he wasn't ordained by some denomination. No one handed him a certificate. But he was the son of God, and that meant nothing to him. Here was a man who did the undignified work of a carpenter. He never wrote a book, and he wasn't a scholar, and so they didn't hear him. In their estimation, he was too young, and he came from a family that was filled with controversy. And I suspect that many that claim to follow him today would be in the crowd that denied him on that day. They would be uh, among those that are writing articles about him or tweeting their, their scathing judgments about him if he was pastoring the church down the street today. And... He said so much good stuff, and he did so much good stuff. But it was easy for all that stuff to just bounce off the hard soil of their heart and for none of it to sink in. It was dismissed quickly with prejudice. And that prejudice served as a great and steadfast roadblock to godliness. And I think that it does in all of our hearts to one degree or another. You know, God is always wanting to speak. And we set up roadblocks around how God can speak to me and to whom or through whom God can speak to me. We say, okay, you have this narrow passageway to penetrate my heart. That's not the way God works. I mean, God has spoken to me in great and profound ways from people that aren't even Christian. You know, he's, he's spoken to me through backslidden Christians. He's spoken to me through, and you can name it, and, and he's done it, but he'll only accomplish it when I look past the superficial and allow him to work in the simplicity of the moving of his spirit through an individual. And we're going to begin in verse 55 again. And we're not going to venture very far. In verse 55, it says, Isn't this the carpenter's son, and isn't his mother's name Mary? And these people grew up around him, and I can't imagine what that would be like. You know, he, he stayed in that city for the majority of his childhood, right? And it would be the, 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 those first 30 years. So no doubt most of these people knew Jesus their entire lives. Right? And that's, that's crazy for me to think about, that, that, the, that he grew up in their sight, right? I mean, he, he played with their kids. He went to their parties. They celebrated holidays together. They shared meals together, right? He did work for them as he was learning the trade of his father, right? He, 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 they, they, they knew the boy, and they, they, they grew up side by side with him. And, and, and now, they're, now they're looking at him, and they're absolutely puzzled, and, and they're saying, who is this person saying these things? It's not the person that I grew up with. It couldn't be. I mean, this isn't the Jesus that I knew from, 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 from back then, and he was just a carpenter back then. And he's come back, and he's saying the things of a prophet, of a Messiah, of the Christ. And, 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 and this was nowhere represented in his childhood. You know, there's much that we don't know about Jesus' childhood, right? I mean, the, in the Gospel of Luke, we have one story, and that's about it. And, and to fill the void, there's all these fictional, heretical uh, infancy Gospels that were, 
that were put out. And one of the most famous of them is the Gospel of Thomas. Maybe you heard about it a few years ago. They were running all these specials about the Gospel of Thomas, you know, newly translated on the Discovery Channel, right? And it became a big deal in the youth group uh, for whatever reason, because all the kids, you know, they don't want to read their own Bible, you know, but then you, they hear about some heretical book on the Discovery Channel, and they're like, I need to go out and buy this. You know, it's like, ah, it's just, what is the matter with you? But uh, <laughs> but there's all these stories, and, and, and you know, and, and, and there's a story in, in the Gospel of Thomas, the infancy gospel, and, and uh, where Jesus is making these clay birds by a brook, right? And, and, uh, and the story goes that he's doing it on the Sabbath. Right. So here's Jesus and he's at it again. You know, Jesus is always getting into Sabbath day troubles. And so he's playing in the clay and the teachers of the law come by and they're like, Jesus, you know, you get out of the clay. You're doing work on the Sabbath. And they run off to tell his parents and parents come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, you know, you got to settle down on the Sabbath. And Jesus claps his hands and the clay birds, you know, spring to life and they flutter away. And then it's, you know, and, and, and you, you, you read that story, and it's a sweet and tender story. And I wish that they all had that kind of same tone. But you read some of the other infancy gospel stories, and they strike a very different chord. Right? You have this one story, and I actually I copied it here uh, from the Gospel of Thomas, because I, I think that you'll be astounded by the wording of it. It's just dramatic and devastating. Uh, and speaking of Jesus, it says, He went through the village, and a child, this is when Jesus is just a boy, a child ran and dashed against his shoulder. So Jesus is just walking down the path and a kid comes and bumps him on the shoulder. And Jesus was provoked and said unto him, thou shalt not finish thy course. And immediately he fell down and died. So this is Jesus as a boy, you know, clay birds and cursed kids. I mean, this is, this is a strange and bizarre Jesus, unlike anything that I would have suspected, right? And, and there's, a, there's, there's a bunch of these types of stories out there in these, in these uh, infancy gospels. And you could rest assured that every single one of them is a complete and utter work of fiction that, that the authors that they're trying to attribute these books to uh, had died hundreds of years before the books themselves were actually written. And the book of Gospel of Thomas was written about 200 years after Thomas, the actual apostle had already passed away. You know, so, I mean, none of these things are true, and, 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 and maybe the best evidence of, of their, you know, of their fictional nature is found right here. I mean, if that was Jesus as a boy, don't you think he would have had a very different reception when he came home? They wouldn't have been astounded by his works. Well, that's just Jesus. That's good. That's the type of stuff that he does. He claps his hands, and clay turns to life. Right? I mean, this is Jesus. It doesn't surprise me at all. This is the type of stuff that we know about him and we've seen from him and, and all this. But they see him and they're astounded. And all they have to say about him is, isn't this the carpenter's kid? I mean, isn't, isn't his mom? What's his mom? His mom's name is Mary. I mean, there's nothing special about him. And why is he doing all this? And why are we paying so much attention to him? You know what? I have a friend and, and he's, a, he's a cement mason right now. And he grew up and a uh, fantastic guy. He's one of our new youth leaders. I don't know if I ran that by you. But uh, <laughs> my bad. He's <laughs> he's back there with the kids now. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's a great guy. I mean, just just a total sweetheart. And he grew up doing cement with his dad, right? And his dad's a cement mason, and his dad's dad was a cement mason, and his dad's dad's dad. And you can go all the way back to the garden. They were pouring cement in the Garden of Eden. I mean, the whole family, a long line of cement masons. This is what the, they, they've all done. And, and when he was in high school and he was like, you know, maybe I'll do something else and maybe this and maybe that. And, and you know, I lost connection with him. And then years later, began talking with him. And, and he's like, hey, you know what? I'm a cement mason. How surprised was I to hear that? None at all. It would have been much more surprising if he was anything else. And this is what they expected from Jesus. Jesus grew up and he's the son of a carpenter. He would learn the trade of his father and that would be what he would pass down to his children. And, and, and you know that none of these stories are true because he never deviated from that pattern. This was just what was expected from him. And they're astounded because he's standing before him and they've only seen the human Jesus. And they know nothing about his divine nature. Because during the 30 years that he was with them, he had not yet begun his earthly ministry. 
And no doubt, they thought that he was a very polite young boy, right? He was probably the sweetest kid on the street. Never raised a fist, you know, a, in the, the heat of anger. Never said a, a hurtful, irrational word to his neighbor. You know, but could this boy be what some are saying that he is, which is the Messiah? And they would just say, heavens no. He's just Jesus. Right? And they're amazed by him, but it was still just him. And I think a lot of people might easily fall into this category. And right, they know Jesus, and they've grown up around Jesus. But they think, well, let's not get silly and let's not get carried away. Because he's still just Jesus. Right? And there's nothing beyond extraordinary about him. He's just the kid that I saw day in and day out, and he's something that I grew up and around, and he's very nice. But he's nothing more. And that's not the Jesus that came to town, right? The Jesus that came back to his, to his home city was a divisive Jesus. So it's not enough to say well, you've done some special things and, and you've said some special things and done some wondrous works, but let's not get carried away. These poor souls, <laughs> and maybe that's a way to, to look at them, were allowed to see things that I can only envy and won't know about until I ask Jesus to fill in the, the historical gap when I see him in glory. They walked with him daily. But they didn't appreciate him adequately. He was a nice boy, and I'll listen to him a moment, then I'll get back to my regular business. And this cavalier approach to Jesus has become all but epidemic in our day. That he's a nice person to listen to and involve yourselves with in small doses on infrequent occasions, but let's not lose perspective of what's really important. And I think these people capture a moment that we know all too well. It's easy to say, yeah, that's Jesus, and we know Jesus, and we've seen Jesus, we grew up around Jesus, and yeah, he says some super stuff. Now let's get on about our day. Their familiarity which is to be envied, was their own worst enemy. Right? When I became a Christian, I came into a sleeping church uh, with people that grew up around Jesus, that had seen him like these Nazarites for 30 years, day in, day out, and they were no longer impressed by him. And I was mystified by them in their cavalier approach to being in his presence. And how could you be bored by this man, Jesus? How could you not come through those doors and be astounded and shaken to your core? Right? How could you not have everything in your life stripped away and thrown down before you and just be exposed in his presence and be changed by his perspective. Lose all sight of your own perspective. How can it be enough to have Jesus for one hour, one day a week and then to be done with him for the rest of the week? And then, and then I move to Nazareth. Right, And I don't know, maybe this is your story too. I came in and I could not conceive them. And then I became one of them. And I moved into the town where Jesus lives. And I saw him day in and day out. And my attitude after far less than 30 years of being with him could easily be described as less than cavalier. 
and it became very comfortable for me to just sit and say, wow, he says some super things, but I got a very busy day today, so I better get on my way. I found myself dismissing him, taking him for granted, not appreciating him for who he is in his presence. And I don't know what you do with that, right? But I think it's something that, that we're all familiar with to one degree or another. And I think it might just be a, a, a good moment to, to reach out to the Nazarite that is sleeping in the city and say, do you not see who is speaking to you tonight? Do you not see in whose presence you are standing? Do you not regard him anymore the way that he ought to be regarded? Do you think so lowly and lightly of him that you can just stand in the midst of him and not be moved by him? It's not enough to say. Well, it's just Jesus. And Jesus says some super stuff. And he does some neat things. That's not enough. He, he, I think that it would do us all a great deal of good to reach out to the Nazarite inside of ourselves and say, open my eyes again, Lord, and let me see you like I saw you the first day I met you. And let me hear you like I heard you all those years ago when I first met you. And to those people, he will appear anew. I've seen him for... I've seen him every day, day in and day out, for 12 years now. And in those moments, he'd say, well, you've never, I'd never seen you in this magnificent light. And I can see all the areas that I've taken you for granted. I haven't admired your beauty as much as I ought. And he makes himself perfectly clear. To refresh us, to renew us, and to write the perspective within us. Continuing in verse 35, but reviewing. Isn't this the carpenter's son and isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and aren't all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? It's not enough that they had an opinion about him. They had much to say about the family associated with him. And, and this isn't the only passage in the Gospels that records them saying things about his family. And this verse alone should be enough to, <clears throat> to dispel the erroneous uh, doctrine of the, uh, the perpetual virginity of Mary. And maybe some of you are familiar with this doctrine that's held by many that it says that Mary never knew Joseph in a marital sort of way that she remained pure and holy and eventually ascended to heaven, never dying a natural death, right? It should be enough to point to a passage such as this and say, well, it'd be very hard for her to have other children <laughs> right? if she never knew Joseph in that regard. Um, but, and, and all of these children are listed here. But I mean, those that hold to that tradition have lengthy and convoluted explanations as to explain away a text like this and the many others that exist in the New Testament. And we're not going to wrestle with them or waste our time with them. It's enough to say that not only did Jesus have half-brothers, but he also had half-sisters. And these were the children born to Mary and Joseph right through their marriage. And the crowd took exception with not just Jesus, but them too. Right? These are lofty words from this man, but look at his family, right? And they're just, they're kind of a bunch of regular people, aren't they? And so there's nothing remarkable about them, so there's nothing remarkable about him, right? And they aren't lawyers or astronauts, they're just carpenters, right? They're like Joseph, right? And, and they're like Mary, they're women that were clearly pregnant before they were married, right? And so there are people that, that we can find fault with. There are people that we can point to. There are people that we can whisper about and allow them to validate our unbelief. Uh, and, and after all, they're, they're all the same when you get right down to it. 
they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And these are his family members. And so they, they, uh, they said that that day, and uh, they, can, they can say something very similar to that about Jesus' family in our day. I was talking to a coworker a couple of years ago. This is when I used to work nights at uh, UPS. And, um, and we were talking about Christianity, and it was, we had finished our shift kind of at the same time, and she said that she had some questions she wanted to ask me. So we went to the, the Jack in the Box at about 3 in the morning, and uh, we're sitting there, and I'm having my tacos because um, they're, just, they're just fantastic. And, <laughs> and we're talking about the Lord and everything, and, and that's, that's just that's the best thing ever, Jack in the Box and Jesus. It's a great combination. And, uh, and, and she was trying to explain to me why she's not, you know, a believer. And she had all these kind of like half-baked, baked, regurgitated ideas of uh, intellectual arguments as to why she didn't believe in Jesus. And she's like, well, I don't believe in Jesus because, uh, you know, evolution. Evolution is, you know, stripped away the foundation of the Bible. And if you can't believe in that, then why believe in the rest of this stuff? You know, and and so we talked about that, you know, and I I shared some things with her that that, that validated the truth of the, the Bible and the and the creation story. And, and she was like, you know what? I'll be honest with you. Uh, it has nothing to do with that. And evolution, and all that stuff never really made a whole lot of sense to me in the first place. So, you know, that, that's not the truth. And I was like, OK, so what is it? And she was like, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. I don't believe that, that, that Jesus is the only way, right? And so we talked about that. She's like, you know, how could Jesus be the only way to God and so on and so forth? And I was like, well, you know, and, you know, you look at prophecy and you can look at history and so on and so forth. And she said, well, you know, it just seems uh, arrogant of God to be like, well, this is the only way. And I was like, actually, it's, it's kind of the greatest expression of grace in all of human history for him to give us a way. I mean, who are you to think that you deserve a way, let alone any way you want, you know? And, and we kind of talked about that for a few more minutes, and, and she was like, you know what, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't even care about that. As <laughs> we were looking at her finishing up my, my fourth taco at that point. <laughs> And thinking, you know, is this going to be a six taco conversation or what are we doing here? <laughs> Why don't you just get to the point? And, uh, and, and she said, you know, it's Christians. And she said, and this is the truth of it. Christians make me not want to believe in Jesus. It has nothing to do with Jesus. And that all it kind of all makes sense. And everything you said all kind of made sense. But it's Christians. It's Christians that make me not want to believe in him. And, and, and she couldn't really say anything about, about Jesus, and these people couldn't really say anything bad against Jesus. How could you? Have you ever tried to think of why someone would so vehemently hate Jesus? You're hating someone that did nothing but, uh, you know, love people and help people. He did nothing but forgive people, you, you know, and reach out to people, minister to people and was merciful to people. Oh, I hate that. People that show mercy. That really, uh, that gets me. You know, it's, that's, it's completely irrational, and that makes no sense. Right? And she didn't have anything against Jesus. Nazarites didn't have anything against Jesus, but they could lump him together with his family and say, well, they're all regular, so he must be regular. Well, she uh, has this kind of scandalous history, so I'm not going to listen to him because he's associated with that history. He's mentioned in the same sentence as that history, right? And after all, this is exactly uh, what, what Gandhi said, isn't it? And it's a famous quote about Gandhi. I remember the first time I heard it that uh, was given to me for exactly that purpose, you know? And I was talking to one of my friends when I became a Christian, and I was like, hey, you know what? You, know, you should come to church and hear about Jesus. And he said, well, you know what Gandhi said? And I said, no, what did Gandhi say? You know, and he said, Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Right? Those are, those are his brothers and his sisters. And they're a regular, rotten bunch of folks, just like the rest of us. That's what the Nazarites would say about them. 
right? And there was scandal in the family. There was a history in the family, and it gave these people cause to speak ill against the family. And it's easy to say, well, uh, when it comes down to it, we're all hypocrites, essentially, aren't we? And, uh, and that's, that's the nature of the church, and that's exactly what Jesus just got done speaking about in these kingdom parables that we've been discussing on Thursday, right? Uh, that, that we're nothing but a collection of human frailty. And that's true. But Jesus did put upon us a degree of responsibility when it came to that frailty, didn't he? I mean, in Matthew 18, in Luke 17, and in Mark 9, and repeated for emphasis because it's important, he said, he who causes one of these little ones to stumble, it'd be better that a millstone were tied around their neck and they were cast into the depths of the sea, right? And it's easy to say, well, we're all just a bunch of hypocrites, and yeah, but you know, that's just the way it is. But Jesus isn't talking about everyone. He isn't talking about the church as a whole in that moment, is he? He's talking about you. And he's talking about me. Right? So I don't have to account for the church. Right? But I have to account for myself. And one day I'm going to be called upon to give an account for myself. And, and, and it's, it's, it, I have a very hard time believing that I'm going to be so, and maybe it just comes up again, uh, coincidentally, cavalier in my attitude towards him that I can say, yeah, well, that's just the nature of the beast, Jesus. We're all a bunch of hypocrites, right? He's going to say, no, there's some responsibility that you have to take for your actions. There's some accountability when people say, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians because they're so unlike your Christ, right? It's not enough for me to just say, well, this is it. That's what you get. And then Jesus knew what he was getting when he got me. And that's all true. Right? But they have this excuse canned and ready. And they're waiting for someone to validate that excuse. They're watching us under the microscope. So we need to consider our brother, Jesus, before we open our mouths, knowing that we represent him. We need to show mercy rather than judgment knowing that others will form their opinion about him in light of our portrayal of him. Because more often than not, right, the Nazarenes come back to what can we know about him from his family? So I would say let's paint a picture of him in his glory. And be sanctified by his spirit daily. We have 15 minutes left. I'm going to wrap this up. And they took offense to him. Verse 57. I can do it. I believe. I believe I can do it. Verse 57. They took offense to him. Jesus said to them, only in a hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Um, Right, so to the myriad of excuses, and you can look it all up, familiarity, right, prejudice. You can say his family associations. All those excuses, they all had a singular result. And the result is that Jesus just couldn't do much there because of their unbelief. Um, and, and I don't know if, if you're like me when you read the Bible, but, uh, but when I read things like this, I, I think, well, Jesus... Jesus didn't do many miracles there because of their unbelief. And then I think, that's exactly why I would do miracles there. Right? And, and I don't know if you, if, you, if you follow me, but I mean, if I'm looking out there and they're like, I don't believe you, I'd be like, wow, shazam. And then something amazing would happen. And then they would all be like, okay, well, now I do. And then I'd be like, yeah, that's right. And that's smart of you to believe because I just did this incredible thing, right? So if I, did, if I did these incredible works in their presence, they would believe and then there wouldn't be any problem, right? But Jesus didn't do that. And I'm not sure why he didn't do that, right? And, and it's never a good idea to ask a question in a message that you don't have an answer for. But I found it really hard to avoid in this situation, Right? All I could do is put myself in his shoes and think, I would do it. 
right? I would listen to them as the voice of the devil when Jesus is being tempted in the desert, right? And the devil took him to the pinnacle of the temple. Did I say the temple took him to the pinnacle of the temple? So I said it right. So I shouldn't have gone back and said it wrong. Are you confused? I'm sorry. (laughs) The devil took him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, throw yourself off. Angels will carry you down. You're not going to be hurt. Everyone's going to see it. They're all going to believe, right? This would be an easy way for him to make everyone believe. But he didn't do it. And you got to come to the conclusion, well, maybe if he did do it, even if they believed, you could hardly call that believing. Could you? It'd be like me walking outside right now and, and saying, I believe it's night. You know, I go, okay, you can kind of drop the whole believe part because it is night, right? Like if I walked out and I walked outside during the day and I said, I believe that the sky is blue. You'd be like, that was no profound statement. I can look up and observe that the sky is blue. There would be no denying it. He would be proving it to be a fact, right? There would be no, uh, there'd be no faith. And, and, and I, I think, and, and as I thought about this and, and wondered why Jesus didn't just do it to make them believe, I thought, well, you know what? Let's remove all the, all the obstacles. In a split second, Jesus could uh, make the reality of his deity dreadfully clear to every single one of us, couldn't he? I mean, he could strip away the veil of the spiritual world, and we would all weep and fall on our knees, right? He, he, could, uh, he, 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 could, he could break us and destroy us by showing us what exists constantly around us that we're blind to. And there wouldn't be a single soul here that would say, I still have some doubts. Right? It would be so abundantly clear. Right? None of us would leave this place an unbeliever. We would all fall to our faces and cower. And he could have done that. But he didn't do that. Because that doesn't achieve what he's always wanted. He's always wanted us to be at that fork in the road and to make the choice for ourselves. To say, I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm going to choose to believe in him. And to those people, then he can bless them. And then he could do miracles in and through them. Then he can begin to reveal himself to them. He's not going to force himself on anyone. We're all a lot of sick people walking around and Jesus isn't going to grab us and throw us on the table and force feed us medication. And he's going to hold it out and he's going to say, if you want this, you can take it. But you have to acknowledge the fact that you need it. And these people weren't willing to acknowledge that fact. So he would not give it to them. He couldn't do it because it goes against the nature of what he desires to have with each and every one of us. There's coming a day, right, when that veil is going to be pulled away. And every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. But today isn't that day. Today's the day that he scatters seed. And it falls upon hard soil and is deflected in an instant by people that have these great canned excuses and say, I'm not going to listen to you because I'm looking at you and I'm not impressed by you. Or I know the story of those people that are associated with you. Today's the day where he's scattering seed and it falls on shallow soil. And they say, you're amazing in verse 54. And then it says that they're offended by him in verse 57. There's no better picture of what shallow soil looks like than that. And today's the day when it falls on thorny, preoccupied soil. And they say, well, I have much to do. I'll circle back to you at a time when it's more convenient for me. And it's all wrapped up in the same chapter. The story of when he says, this is what's going to happen when you come in contact with people and they come in contact with my gospel. And then the story of just that happening to Jesus himself. 
I say we take a couple of questions and, and then we end in a word of prayer. Because I still have another two pages. I'm not going to do it. Kareen nodded in, in Thanksgiving. So, <laughs> so, so that's what's happening here in this passage. Does anyone have any questions? Anything that we talked about? <laughs> Nothing? Can I pray and run away? That's how I preach. Preach, prayer, run away. Nothing? Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this evening. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the clarity that it offers when we consider it all together. Lord, there's no accident to, uh, to the consistency of it all, to the glory of the revelation that you provided for us and that we can see the way that you perfectly picture these things and then the way that you consistently experience them, right? Telling us that this is what we're going to go through, right? We're going to come in contact with people and maybe they're just too familiar with you to be affected by you. Maybe they have a, a prejudice against the one who's presenting you. And Lord, maybe they just are choosing to turn a blind eye to you. And you're there and you're always speaking. You're still saying amazing things. You're still doing astounding things. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't be like these people that day. Lord, these folks from your home city that saw you day in and day out and took you for granted, didn't appreciate what you offered. I pray, God, that we would see you afresh, that we would be renewed, that our perspective be righted, and that we would leave this place. Lord, astounded by your glory. And Lord, overflowing with fruitfulness. Lord, I praise you for it. I ask all these things, Lord, in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.